everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike here with uh, with friend Kevin. Friend uh, Kevin. Yep, friend Kevin. Kevin number two, K2, as, as he's re- known. Uh, how many names? As he's known in the biz. Wow. And um, and he's been called, uh, I'm, I'm sure, worse things somewhere <laughs> along the line. Uh, By you. We Probably. Probably. Um, welcome to the show, everybody. We're, we're always, always, and I know I say this every time, but it's true. We are so glad to be a small part of your life. Thank you for tuning in. Um, uh, we have uh, just more questions to, to get through today. I mean, it's... Again, the, this is the best part of the the whole f- enterprise is hearing from people and seeing what's going on and hearing questions they're wrestling with. What are you What are you looking at? What, I was just happy that you called sparky. it an enterprise. I didn't know that we made you made it to enterprise level. Oh, dude, this is total enterprise. Okay, total enterprise. This is this is way beyond hobby. This is deeper than passion. This is bigger than job. This is enterprise. This is what this is. All right, now. Kevin, we've got man, we've got some good ones. Dang, and 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 so I try not to spend a lot of time on them ahead, so to kind of give the hey, this right. is like a real time Q and A. And I spend zero time because you won't even let me <laughs> let me know the questions. I know Andy used to drive Andy nuts. Andy'd be like, but that was part of what I liked. I liked having somebody there who was like real time reacting to, to what was going on. So I'm here for you. All right, so this is from my friend Michael. Um, he says, uh, women and children are being tear gassed at our border. So this happened uh, earlier this week yeah. uh, that evidently the the caravan that had been making its way through and at least elements of it had had tried to cross the border. Yeah, there's that like Instagram picture that exactly. uh, is, is just incredible. Of what, a mom and two kids, right? Mom pulling and, her kids away. Yeah, of tear gas in the background. So, so, um, so Michael says, uh, women and children are being tear gassed at our border. The UN calls child separation where the child is forcibly taken from one group and given to another group uh, where the kids were never reunited with their parents and put up for adoption. The UN defines that as genocide. At what point do we no longer have more in common with a Trump supporter who claims Jesus is Lord over an atheist who deeply cares about human rights? At what point will it become fair to say you can follow Christ or you can follow Trump? You can't follow both. Is there a point where we no longer have more in common with someone who claims to be a Christian over someone that isn't? I'm deeply disappointed that the church isn't leading the way in speaking out about these social injustices. I'm ever more disappointed to see Christians defending what is happening as being okay. Boom. Now, um, you know, one of the things that, that is a backdrop for this question is that we've done two, two different takes on politics, Paul and politics and Jesus and politics. And one of the things I was trying to suggest and hold on to is that, listen, um, what Jesus does when he pulls together Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector is the equivalent of putting, you know, it probably even more dramatic than putting together a Trump-loving a Republican and a Trump despising Democrat, right? And and that that our political ideologies are not first; um, they're secondary to the unity that we're to have with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So the question becomes: Okay, at what point, though, um, do our politics disintegrate into into non Christian expressions? Where if you actually hold this view, there's no way that you could be a follower of Jesus. And and I've seen this card played on uh, gun control, 
how can you how can you believe that guns are good things and still be a follower of Jesus? Or right. that war is a good thing or that capital punishment is okay or whatever. I've seen the, the card played on abortion uh, from Republicans to Democrats. How in the world could a Christian uh, vote for people who think that the, that abortion is okay up to however many weeks it, it, it may go? Um, and, and so so this is, so what's the, when, when do we get to the nuclear option is the question. So this question um, has to do with, okay, so look at the immigration policies we're dealing with here. If we're tear gassing women and children, how in the world as a Jesus follower could you think that's okay? So, so wonderful question. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, I, I'm tempted to think that if Jesus were asked this question, Jesus would speak very, very dramatically against both Democrats and both Republicans as neither, uh, neither one have, have exclusive um, claim to truth and to Jesus-likeness um, and would remind us that none of us have you know, feet to stand on in terms of our own inconsistencies, hypocrisies, and so on. So, so I don't know that I can, I can definitively say when it's okay for me to declare someone non-Christian or that I have some more, I have something more in common with an atheist who uh, values social justice uh, more than a Christian who does not. Right. So, so I, I don't know where, where there's a definitive answer. So the rest of this is just guessing. You know what I'm saying? Guessing. <laughs> which, you know, which probably not, not opinion, but just guessing. <laughs> and some are going to say, well, how's that different from normal? And that's a very fair question. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, so, so, so a couple of thoughts. First of all, and and I hate when people say this, but I'm I'm going to say it. I don't I don't trust almost any piece of information I receive through the media anymore, from either side. Correct. So so on the one hand, I'm looking at images. That are that that are being told that, that people are rushing our border, and they're using violence, and they're throwing rocks at you know border patrol people, and they're they're trying to jam their way through. And here we are, using tear gas to help disperse them, uh, because that what they are doing is unlawful. Um, uh, and and then I'm confronted with a picture of well, here's a woman, and uh, and her children. Uh, it's, on the one hand, people are saying though this. Caravan is made up of military-aged men primarily, um, and on the other hand, people are saying none of the there there are, you know, here here like the media is showing stories of of moms and their kids, you know, just seeking a better life for their kids. So I sit from a position and think, okay, which is either side approximating what's happening, and and, and you can say that that's cynical or that's even naive or whatever it is, but I don't trust. I've just learned. In my old age, not to trust a damn thing that's being shown, right? And let because every everything seems to now have an agenda. Everything is used. Right. It's everything is weaponized mm-hmm. in our political uh, in our political battles. So, so if someone's going to say, "Hey, um, are you for?" It? And, and I would imagine my Republican uh, Trump supporting friend saying something like, "Hey, of course I'm not. I'm not up for tear gassing." Uh, kids, doggone it, but I am up for like having an orderly border and vetting the people that come in here. And in the world that we live in, that seems like safe and sane policy. 
And so if someone, someone is not going to take advantage of the legal channels we have coming into our country uh, then and, and try to force their way in, then I have no problem with us using non-lethal means to disperse uh, disperse those crowds away from our border. So I could hear a Jesus-loving, Trump-supporting person saying, hey, no, of course I would be, I, I would never in a million years be okay with tear-gassing women and children. The issue is that 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 whole thing is much more than just women and children. And unfortunately, they were caught up in the thing. I can also hear very Jesus-loving people saying, um, listen, I thought the Bible's really clear on the whole immigration thing, Right. Those who have are to share with those who have less. And that as we as we are the most blessed country in the world, we either need to, A, make it much more easy to uh, immigrate to our country legally, or B, um, uh, uh, allow uh, for humanitarian reasons people to just come in and cross the borders without the normal sorts of vetting or whatever. And I can I can picture Jesus, normal Jesus followers, uh, you know, feeling like seeing a, a picture like this and thinking that's just awful. That's not who the United States is. That's not the Statue of Liberty represents, right? That none of us, uh, you know, where the situation's reversed, um, I can't say that I wouldn't have tried to come into the United States of America for the sake of my family, right? I can't right. I can't say that if I were born in Guatemala or Venezuela or whatever, that I wouldn't have attempted uh, not to smuggle drugs or not to do any of those things, but to come over and to find a job and work to support my family and, you know, whatever country I was from. I can't, I can't say that I wouldn't do that. Right. So, so my, my point, Michael, is simply, I don't think that, um, that we're at the place where we can say, well, this is the fruit of Jesus following Trump loving, you know, uh, people that we're tear gassing, we're tear gassing um, uh, women and children because I think w- their response would be, "Hey, I I'm foreclosed or I'm for you know enforcement of our borders, um, and and I think that's a good healthy thing for society. I, however, I disagree with the way it's being implemented. So I think I think a, a Jesus loving Republican could say that, right? I don't." Of course, we would never, ever, ever want to tear gas women and children. Um, however, in the same way that we don't let riots, you know, from leftists in Portland, you know, shut down the city, we require people to abide by the laws. And this is one of the laws, at least as, as it exists now. So, so my point is, I think you can distinguish between holding the value I can sit across. So let's say I'm I'm a I'm a progressive like you, Michael. Let's say I could sit across from somebody and uh, and who loves Trump and say, listen, let's agree that all human beings are worthy of dignity and honor and value because they're image bearers, right? Right. And you could say, yes. Yes. And let's agree that nations don't exist, at least in any modern sense, without borders of some way, shape, you know, some shape or form. And let's agree that uh, that one of the jobs of government is to protect its citizens, right? Right. So we can, you and I, as as Democratic and Republican Jesus followers, can agree on all of that, and then massively disagree on how it's implemented. But I would still suggest, and maybe Michael, I'm just so off here, but I would still suggest you have more in common with them because of those prior assumptions than you would an atheist who just simply says, "Hey, we should, you know, we should, uh, you know, resist Trump or whatever because you know he's evil and." 
doesn't honor people and whatever else. Make is this is this in any way helping? I need bail me out on this. Bail you out. Yep. No, I think it's it's such a difficult issue, like you said, because going back to the source, we it's just so hard to know. You know, what's the real story and 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 it's hard to speak. Yeah. Outside of this is my thoughts, this is my opinion. Well, um, and and the question and the question you can follow Christ or you can follow Trump. You can't follow both. But that's true of everybody. You could have said that of Obama. You could have said that of Hillary Clinton. You, right. I mean, it, the, the, the issue is, and, and this is my deepest concern, when we are viewing our world through almost exclusively political lenses, we have lost our ability to truly be kingdom people. It's that simple. I mean, that's big. No, so so the idolatry doesn't exist just on the Trump side. The idolatry exists on the anti-Trump side too, right? I mean, so so the job is to be faithful. The job isn't to be Republican or Democrat. The job is to be faithful. So because I, I I I want my world to reflect the way Jesus saw the world. I there are times when I look at something and say, man, I really agree with the Democrats on this one. And there are other times where I'm like, well, I think the, this Republican policy seems like it's wisest, mm-hmm. right? But the thing I don't ever do is to wed myself so clearly to one political persuasion or not, so as to make following Jesus indistinguishable from following that political party. And so that's where, Michael, that's where I just am like, listen, you have the practical issue of I don't really know the facts of the round, this photo and what's really happening at the border. Secondly, I do think that that you and a, a Trump-loving Republican Jesus follower can agree on super important parts of the immigration conversation and disagree over implementational things and still have more in common with them. But the third one and most significant one is this. If your anger is causing you to um, to dismiss as unchristian uh, people who who are Jesus followers and who support President Trump, uh, then then I would simply suggest you've been colored uh, in the opposite direction, but in the precise same way as those people that you're critiquing, right? I mean, because that's that's the biggest danger. That's the biggest compromise. That somehow we're so pulled into this polarization. Uh, that that I simply cannot see the other people as good, as wholesome, as whatever, and um, and so I, I, I'm sure, Michael, you're going to disagree with me on this. But hallelujah, I'd love to hear your pushback. My bigger point, and the bigger point we've tried to make on the politics topics all along, has simply been: What's it look like when you're coming from a kingdom? Uh, perspective from a kingdom that the scriptures say cannot be shaken from a position of strength in the world because Jesus is Lord and has conquered death. What happens when you come from a place not of scarcity, uh, but a place from from abundance, realizing that there is nothing that can affect the kingdom and in God's movement on earth. And once I'm secure in there, I'm secure in there forever. And economies can come and go, and injustice can come and go, and cancer can come and go. But I'm actually unshakable. I mean, is there? Do you engage the world differently from that place? So that yes, I could critique. Of course, there are some people who follow Trump to to the neglect of the real Jesus. Of course, there are, and there are some people who oppose Trump for this in the same way, right? And so, how do you determine? I simply will not risk. Uh, what would happen in my heart for me to write off a group of people 
who seem to be supporting something. So let's take skinheads. Let's take like white supremacists in the name uh, who in the name of Jesus have perverted his message and use it somehow to create a system where they see themselves as superior. I'm not permitted as a Jesus follower to ever simply wipe those people off the face of the earth, either in real time through violence or dismiss them entirely as people who are unredeemable, untouchable, someone who I will never deal with, never come into contact with. I'm just not given that permission. I'm not allowed to write anyone off. I'm not because Jesus didn't write me off. I'm, and if I'm going to follow his example, I do not have permission to write those people off. That, that I can hate what they do. I can hate what they stand for. I can work with everything in my might to oppose it. Absolutely. But if, they, but if they're image bearers too, and if God loves them and died for them too, then as a follower of this Jesus, I'm not permitted to, to write them off and to simply say um, categorically, that I will have nothing ever to do with them. I would not, because then, because then, what does the what does the command mean to love my enemy, right? I mean that uh, <laughs> if if I'm loving just the people that I agree with, well, then what the heck? So anyway, rambly, lots of guessing, but maybe there's something there. Kevin, last thoughts. Last thoughts. That was that's powerful. I mean, that's 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 what we stepped into when we we invited Christ in our heart, right? So uh, I mean, that's it's tough. It's not easy. Oh, I, I think it. I think the way that you ended right there. I mean, that was whoa, uh, whoa, and yeah. Sometimes it takes me twenty minutes to get warmed up. Yeah, you, you got you're hot. You're hot. You are hot, no. hot, Mike. Well, what do you think? Hot, Mike, in in the microphone sense and the how Michael you, Erie sense. How would you answer that? What do you think? That whole big question. Yeah, I I think it's. I mean, the whole thing. It's. Uh, the, the, the other side is, I think there are, we have to remember, and this this stinks, but that there are very evil people in the world, okay. this side of the border and that side of the border. And, you know, in that, um, what stinks is there are people that, that are motivated to get to the border for other reasons. And, you know, it's there's just so many different narratives and they will use women and children, which isn't necessarily ever a narrative that happens in this country. And, right. Uh, I mean, there's just so many different perspectives and I don't know what you do. I mean, it's... <laughs> totally. It, it, I, and I, I think, and I want to believe the best in all of our politicians and think that then they see that picture that their heart is just like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Uh, but this happens all over the world all the time in all different countries. We are so blessed where we live, right? Yeah. So yep. it's like our heart is being tugged to do something. Yep. But I don't, I don't know, what, what, what do we do? Right. Yeah, that's a different question for yeah. sure. Yeah, uh, because there are many, uh, you know, personally, and and I get knocked for not being a Trump fan for sure, uh, and I and I'm personally not. I mean, I just find the man himself distasteful. And but the thing that was really upsetting to me was the anointing of him as the Christian rights sort of right. Candidate. No, absolutely. That was the part that really bugged me because then you're compromising the witness that we're to have for Jesus now, you're polluting that. So, right. so I get fired up about that. And, I, and I'm totally for getting fired up about this stuff. That's, that's no problem. But there are deeper issues at play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so even if I were for strong borders, I would be opposed to tear gassing women and children. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Anywhere and everywhere in the world that that stuff happens, it, <laughs> it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because that's not how we were designed. Yep. Boom. Look at you. you know? All right. So this... Um, uh, this is a, a, 
a very, so we've got some sisters raising some ridiculously great questions. Um, so love the podcast. Uh, this is from Melissa. And um, I've heard you say something multiple times that has always made me minorly flinch, but I wasn't able to grasp why. She said today. some things or a lot of things. I've, I've heard you say something multiple times. <laughs> I flinch all the time. So, exactly, so I'm yes. right with you, Melissa. I wasn't able to grasp why until today. You talk a lot about how people in deconstruction leave the church to process their questions. And reconstruction always seems to look like returning to the church, but that's just not what my processes looked like. And I don't necessarily agree with leaving the physical manifestation of church being equal to leaving the church as a whole. That's a great point. That is a great point. That is a great point. Um, uh, let's see here. I did not stop attending church services because I didn't agree with what they were saying. I stopped attending because it was stale. Um, uh, from a standard, quote, Christian perspective, I probably look like someone who has left the church. I don't attend church services and I'm married to a non-Christian. Oh my goodness. But I love, love, love Jesus. And she goes on to talk about what that looks like for her. Uh, and if your response is going to be about how the church is supposed to be a community of people who process the Bible together and love one another, I'm with you. I'd love to have deep and meaningful relationships with people at church. I just don't seem to fit into the Christian subculture and always end up feeling like an outsider no matter where I go. So all of that is to ask, is there a version of reconstruction that doesn't involve going to church services on Sunday? It just seems like there would be since the weekly church service is more of a modern invention, but in all your conversations, it doesn't seem like that's a possibility in your mind. Just curious to hear your thoughts. Well, well, this, Melissa. This is in your wheelhouse. Yeah, because I'm wrong. Careful. Careful. No, th no this is so Here good. Here we go. This is so good because you're, you're I, Melissa, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So one of the things that I hated when I was kind of a, a younger pastor was uh, that we would refer to people as unchurched. So they weren't non-Christian. They were unchurched. As they, if Would they be pre-Christian? Is that, that's another word that I think is so pre funny. Pre-Christian is another one, totally. But, <laughs> but, 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 but we would make the mistake of associating being involved with church as, as following Jesus, right? right. So we yep. would call them unchurched. Okay, and I if see. they were churched, then that was the good thing. That was the goal was to make them churched. Make them churched. Now, what Melissa's pointing out is I'm guilty of the same way of thinking by saying Reconstruction means you're leaving the church, or deconstruction means you're leaving the church, and reconstruction means you're finding the church. Now, in one sense, Melissa, you are utterly right. If by church we mean weekly Sunday services, your point is absolutely well made Small C church, and well right? taken. Yep, of course, reconstruction does not mean you have to attend weekly church services. Good Lord, no. That in fact, you could make the case uh, that that attendance at modern weekly church services, at least in most churches, doesn't do a whole heck of a lot to promote the kind of biblical faith that Jesus is interested in. Uh, the goal was never to create a community of people that just sit and watch a, an event take place. So, so absolutely. So um, my point is you can actually make uh, a bit of a case that's in some, in some ways, the way we do church is actually harmful to the kind of faith that Jesus is interested in. So of course, there is a version of reconstruction that involves not attending church, of reconstruction that will always involve community. And, um, and so if, if we mean by the church weekly services, you're absolutely right. If we mean by the church community, which, which of course you're not saying, nor am I, uh, or, or that we would agree that that's what we mean, then absolutely reconstruction requires that form of church. 
And, um, and, 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 and that community though is super interesting because it can be flesh and blood, but it can also be a virtual community, right? I mean, I, I look at the Vox community as a real thing. There is a, there is a conversation that's being had that isn't just one way and that is being had over lots of really interesting uh, topics that are happening in the Bible and that are happening in our culture. But but that is a communal, we are primarily a community, an ecosystem, if you will, of, of ways of thinking and talking and acting and being in the world that I that I love being a part of. So so is reconstruct does reconstruction require community? Absolutely. Absolutely. You cannot follow Jesus just by yourself. That is that is that never intended. Now, I'm sure if you're in sub-Saharan Africa, you're the only Christian in your tribe. Uh, yes, you can follow Jesus by yourself. But the way we were wired as human persons is to follow him in community because so much of the Bible's teaching about what it is to follow Christ can only be done when you're with and around other believers. So weekly church services, nah. I mean, take it or leave it. Uh, having a group of people who are honestly, deeply uh, learning to love one another, learning to serve the world, uh, and learning to to be people of the text, that is non-negotiable as best as you can find it. So great point. I will try to clarify my language better in the future. Well said. (laughs) Yeah, good job. Melissa, good job. So this um, this is from somebody who did not identify um, herself, at least in a signature, so I will not read her name. We will call her Jenny. 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 Hello, Jenny. I understand. So this is back to, to something that we were talking about with Kavanaugh weeks and weeks and weeks ago. Okay. And, and the, the subject of the email is feedback regarding the two or three witnesses required for justice. Okay. Okay. We've uh, talked a little bit about this in a couple podcasts, right? Yep. Okay. Um... So, so I understand because when we also quoted somebody who was saying, listen, when you get to the public sphere, the private sphere, you offer mercy, the public sphere, we have to abide by uh, the law. Yep. And so there are requirements for evidences. And and I was piping in the Bible teaching that talked about, you know, you should not entertain accusations against elders unless there are two or three witnesses. That coming, that's coming from Deuteronomy. So I understand the desire of the writer who said that pastors should show mercy in private, but that for public justice to be done, we need two or three witnesses. In addition to the pushback you gave about feeling like it's duplicitous to act one way in private and another in public, I feel like there's another blind spot. Because if you need two or three witnesses, that means that no sexual assault will ever be prosecuted aside from the thankfully rare gang rape. And I think most women would acknowledge that their Me Too moments didn't have two or three witnesses. Mine didn't. While I utterly understand that people can and do lie, both men and women, and so therefore all should be investigated to the extent we can, the bigger question for me is to whom we give the benefit of the doubt. And she gives two options. To the man, because we might ruin his life, job, prospects, reputation, or to the woman, because there is clearly a history of patriarchy and abuse in our society, and parentheses, if Dr. Ford is any indication, uh, has equally ruined her life, job, reputation by coming forward. I don't have easy answers, but I was frustrated by the assumption that a possible victim has to conjure up witnesses for this pastor to be public in pursuing justice. Maybe he meant 
that she needed to have told someone immediately after the abuse or crime occurred. I can only pray that the Me Too movement will encourage women to be able to do that. Historically speaking, that hasn't been encouraged, and shame, embarrassment, slash wanting to put it behind you has been the prevailing mantra. All right, so so her point, very well said, is, is that it is precisely the nature of sexual assault to not have two or three witnesses ever accompanying it. Right. And so how is it then? So who is to, re- and I love that question, who's to receive the benefit of the doubt? I love that. And I think, I, I th- and I think that's a very fair way to view the question, to say, listen, it is true that, that people lie, absolutely. And it is true that there is such a thing as due process under the law as it is written in uh, the United States of America. Uh, however, who do we give the benefit of the doubt to? That's a very fair. That's a very fair thing, and I like the way you put that. So I would agree. I would agree, completely and entirely. All right, last one. We might get through them. Oh my goodness, we might get through. Might need to dig up some more today. Um, all right, thanks for your podcast. Um, it's challenged my thinking. Well, that's that's fun. I mean, that's hopefully part of what we do. You mentioned in a recent podcast how people these days are less aware of being guilty and how sharing the gospel from a guilt perspective doesn't necessarily resonate with them. I've found this to be increasingly true, especially with college students. I'm curious what you found to be effective and helpful in explaining the gospel in light of this. In light of not really seeing themselves as guilty, I found people people often don't see the need or understand Jesus' death. I'm often faced with the objection that a loving and forgiving God could just choose to forgive us without needing Jesus to die, or that he would or should accept anyone who is genuinely trying to live for him. The idea of death as a penalty for our sin, God's wrath towards sin, and the necessity for justice just doesn't seem to connect. I would love to hear any thoughts you have of, on helpful ways of explaining the gospel to these types of people or responses to these objections. I know you have a ton of people asking questions. I don't know if this is creative or exciting enough to answer on the podcast. Oh, but it is. But if you have any thoughts or resources, I'd be so grateful. This is something I think about a ton uh, as I talk with many college students regularly. It's personal as both of my brothers do not follow Jesus and this seems to be their main Hang up. More than anything, I want them to know uh, Jesus. It's, uh, any response you could give would be great. All right. Fantastic question. Fantastic. The ladies are killing it. So let's call her Jenny as well for sake of privacy. Um, and, and so in context, I believe what I was saying before was something like this. Like there used to be, and you know this, you know this, Kev, there used to be a way of sharing the message of Jesus that, that went along the lines of God is holy we are guilty, therefore sin separates us from God, and that Jesus has come to pay the price for our sin, and he did that so that God's justice would be vindicated and his love would be shown, so that now, by putting my faith in Jesus, I have had uh, my, my sin taken away, Jesus paid the price for that sin, and I've gotten credit for Jesus's rightness, for his holy living. So that now God sees me as holy and I've been vindicated in the court, the heavenly court of law. And, and that was the core of the gospel message. And one of the ways that you shared the gospel message, at least that was popular when I was a bit younger, is that you would share the Ten Commandments 
and you would point out, you know, the way all the ways in which we've coveted or lusted, and and the and the ideas that you would you wanted people to get a sense of their guilt before a holy God, right? Right. These days. Uh, a lot of that imagery doesn't seem to connect because guilt isn't the predominant thing that we're wrestling with. It's shame, which is an entirely different thing. Um, most most of the people I talk to who are not followers of Jesus, if you were just to sit there and say, yeah, you know, um, you're a sinner. And, and they would say, yeah, I mean, everybody, we're all broken. We're all messed up, right? We're all deeply in touch with how broken the world is. One of the gifts of social media has been to rob us of the assumption that the human race is on a uh, is on the best trajectory possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? No, no, I, I don't know anybody who thinks that. Hey, w- guys, we're we're actually making progress. Here. <laughs> um, <laughs> in some ways, we absolutely are. No kidding. I mean, yes, that's true. Uh, but in other ways, you just see how deep seated human darkness is, and that's why I think so many post apocalyptic pieces of literature or, or, or film or TV shows. I mean, why that's so popular is because we, we all instinctively know it can't keep going like this. Like whether, whether we have to educate ourselves out of it or we have to, you know, uh, provide prosperity enough to pull ourselves out of it, but there, we can't, this isn't, the way it's going isn't going to, it's not going to resolve well. So, um, uh, so the issue is, okay, well, if that's not, if, if people aren't walking around with this deep sense of guilt before a holy God, so that, you know, you could simply like Jonathan Edwards, read a sermon about sinners in the hands of an angry God and call that, you know, we're done, right? He just, he didn't even have to do anything. He just read the sermon and people were falling over and, you know, whatever. Uh, how in the world do you share the message of Christ? Now, the, the, the first big point to make is that Paul just didn't use that image. And that image is primarily um, one of a courtroom, right? That you're guilty and that the price has been paid. One of the examples that was used uh, when I was very young was, you know, imagine that you're, you're, you're caught speeding and you're, you're guilty before the court of law, right? I mean, there's no doubt about your guilt. And um, you're, the, the fine for speeding is, you know, some astronomical number that you can't pay. And so the judge, in order to validate his justice, has to find you, find you guilty, find you guilty, and then fine you <laughs> wherever the penalty is that you cannot pay. But because the judge is also loving, the judge comes down and pays the penalty for you, right? That was the picture. Whoa. You never heard that? Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've used that. Yeah. Absolutely. So so the the thing, though, I don't think it resonates deeply with um, with with where the pain is in our in our culture, and so um, when we talk about guilt, um, you know, we we're naturally pulling from Romans. We're naturally pulling from uh, some of Paul, you know, Paul's other writings. But Paul himself used, you know, adoption as a picture of what happens where we didn't have a family. Now we're adopted into the family in the household of God. He used reconciliation. We were alienated from Christ, and now we've been brought near, uh, and we're reconciled. Um, he used redemption from the slave markets, the idea that you were enslaved and you were been purchased into freedom. So Paul didn't limit himself to just one image uh, of, of what the work of Jesus accomplished, so I don't think we should either. So, so do I think there was the, that the wages of sin is death, and that by dying, Jesus 
sacrifice, that there was some sacrifice involved in his death so that I, um, I might escape the penalty of death that was due me. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's absolutely a true image. I don't think it's the only image, and I'm not sure it's the best one to use these days. What? Uh-oh. <laughs> what? Where are you going with this? What? I'm just asking. Oh, my goodness. You put a big button there. You said, but. Yeah, so. But. So, the, the gospel that Jesus preached uh, is the gospel of the kingdom of God, the kingship of God drawing near through Jesus the king. You don't hear anything about that anymore in uh, the American church to our great detriment because not only does Jesus's death save us, but Jesus himself taught his life saves us, his teaching saves us. It's not just his death uh, that was the big saving point, but it's the resurrection, his ascension, to the right hand of the Father, the sending of the Holy Spirit. It's the whole package, which is what salvation turns out to be. It's not just then and there. It's also here and now. It's not just the cross for me, but it's the work of the cross in me as I deny myself, follow Christ. So there are all of these big images that we just conveniently ignore, or we push them to something we call sanctification, which is the process of being made Christ-like. And we separate that from salvation, which is the process of being rendered um, not guilty before God. I would not separate those two personally. I think salvation, when Paul says, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, I think salvation is much more robust in the gospel than that. So if the question is, to, to get to her like the fundamental, so what? If, I, if, if somebody said, hey, how would you share the message of Jesus? Uh, I'm a big fan of the narrative uh, approach. So I share the, the, the story, creation, fall, redemption, um, restoration. That's what I, I share the big, the big biblical story. And I can share it in five minutes. I can share it in 30 seconds. I can share it in an hour. But uh, the idea would be if somebody said, hey, so what is it? Uh, why is it uh, that you find this Jesus compelling? And what is it that you believe about him? I would simply say this. I, I, I firmly believe that, that we uh, and that the universe is the result of, of some intelligent process. Now, I don't get into this, of course, and, and you know from other podcasts that if God used evolution, great. Um, okay. Uh, I don't think evolution was naturalistic in the sense of unguided. I don't, I don't buy that. I think we are the products of intelligence um, and design. Now, again, that could come about a number of different ways. But I would say something like, hey, I, I, see, uh, I see a world that has echoes of goodness and beauty and truth all over it, stamped, if you will, with the image of something bigger than the world itself, right? And I think human beings are unique in the world. Uh, I think they are, um, in the, in biblical terms, the made in the image of God, that they're made for relationship and they're made for work and they're made for rest and they're made for worship. Um, so I see humans as having uh, inherent dignity and the job that God gave these first human persons was to reflect the goodness of his rule and his benevolence and intelligence over the created order. We were to be his vice regents almost. Um, he were given authority. We were given will. We were given desire. We were given uh, the ability to affect things in the world for that purpose. However, that purpose was usurped when our first parents, um, uh, when our first parents decided um, and, and that trait has been passed along to everybody else that we'd rather see for ourselves uh, than be told. 
uh, that we'd rather that we'd rather taste and see something than just to be told it's good or bad. Uh, we'd rather uh, find our own way uh, as individuals than to just live in in kind of trusting obedience. And so, what happened in the biblical story is that sin and death entered the world. That the world. That, that good still echoes in the world, but the world now is fallen. It, it is tainted. It is, there, there are shadows in it. And that everything, every facet of human, the human culture-making enterprise has been affected. And so while at the same time we're capable of making incredible technology, that technology now is, you know, can be weaponized and used for, you know, the slaughter of millions, right? There's, there, there, the biblical message is the world still retains goodness, and beauty and truth, but it's not as it could, it's not as good as it could be. It's not as good as it should be. We all sense there's something wrong. And every protest we have against injustice, every every tear that is cried over the interruption, the un, unfair and cruel interruption of death into human life, all of that validates to me that we know this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We know it. There are times we get in touch with beauty. There are times we get in touch with tragedy, but we, in both of those instances, we're aware that there's something transcendent, that death is not the way it's supposed to be because it hurts so terribly much that that, the, that cancer is an invader. It's not a good thing in our world, right? And, and so we protest. And I think that is a fundamental display of our image bearing. I think that is evidence that we are actually created to be who the Bible says we're created to be. I absolutely think that. But what God has done is not to leave the world the mess that it is, but has, has called forth out of human history a tribe um, called Israel in the Old Testament. But through Israel, there would come a fully human person um, who would come bearing the reign and rule and power of God to begin to put the world back together. And the big surprise that the Jews called this person the Messiah, but the big surprise was that the Messiah came not as this conquering hero who was, who was going to use violence to undo all the violence of the world, but as rather was somebody who was willing to absorb the worst that the world had. Every bit of unjust suffering that could have been done, he absorbed it in his own self. He was was beaten and mocked and spat upon and crucified. Uh, but even before that, he was rejected by parts of his family. He was mocked and he was, uh, he was uh, betrayed and he was abandoned. I mean, there wasn't a bit of human life, the ugly set of human life that this Jesus of Nazareth did not come uh, to uh, understand and experience himself. And so God put forward somebody who was fully God and fully human um, to, to begin the process of absorbing the evil out of the world, to showing a different way to handle the evil in the world, and to open up a way for human persons to regain their full humanity again, to be set free from the sin and the shame and the fear that has dominated us for centuries, for, from the first moments human beings walked on the earth, uh, and, to, and, and to invite us to join him into the restoration project that God is going to pull off for the entire universe. Because one of the things that is said in the New Testament that's fascinating is that this Jesus wasn't just fully human, but he was actually, he's not a way to God. He's actually God in human flesh. And what happened to Jesus is what's going to happen to all who are in Jesus and to the rest of the universe, namely something called resurrection. And all resurrection means is new creation. 
So the biblical story is simply this. We were created with great design and intelligence. We no longer live to the fullest degree or extent of that purpose, that glory, that beauty, that truth, that way of being fully human. And God has put Jesus forward to show us, to remind us, not only that that evil will be overcome, but that that we can live in a way that begins to restore our full dignity and our uh, full image bearing as members of the human race and become part of the advanced project of the renewal of all things that God himself intends. That, now again, that's the five-minute or 10-minute version or whatever, but that's the way I announce the message of Jesus. Now, of course, that includes forgiveness. Of course, that includes adoption. Of course, that includes justification. Absolutely, it includes that. But it's so much bigger. When you look at the story that New Testament writers are telling, is they're reflecting back on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. It's a cosmic story. It's not just you and your individual sin being found non-guilty before God's story. It is, no, no, no. God's calling out of human history a people through whom and in whom he will begin the project of restoring the humanity of the image bearers that he's created. I mean, it's absolutely, to me, it's absolutely dynamic. It's genius. And, um, and, and it gives me a picture of what it is I'm supposed to do now as a Jesus follower, right? I mean, the goal of my Jesus following isn't to get a ticket to heaven and then I, I'm forgiven for everything I've ever done, right? Then I'm just in sin management again, like we talked about last week. Right. Rather, what's compelling to me is that I am supposed to be, if, if, if indeed the, the Christian story is true, that, that the spirit of this Jesus resides in me in some mysterious way, and I am now empowered to become part of the advance guard of this renewal of all things. So the reason I'm against racism isn't because I'm a good person. The reason I'm against racism is because there will be no racism in God's new world. So I'm part of that now. The reason I'm against sex trafficking is not just because it's sex trafficking and it's horrific, but it's because there will be no sex trafficking in God's new world because image bearers will treat each other with respect and dignity. There will be no, there will be no dominating of a weaker. There'll be no dominating of a lesser. There'll, there'll, there'll be no power plays in the, in the kingdom. And so we are to embody the beginnings of that now. Makes sense? Yes. Boom. So Boom. that's what I would say, Jenny, number two. So like what, uh, so in that conversation and in response to even her email, okay, so I get that whole, that whole, uh, uh what you just walked us through, but <laughs> Sorry. how, how, how does that, um, how does that kind of mesh with some of the questions she was asking? Like, how do you, how do you, that was big, broad, visionary. Okay. So did I miss some of the questions she was asking? Just some of the detail-y stuff. Oh, Okay. Oh yeah, why why couldn't God just forgive us? And right. and now now that that question only comes up when you're telling the the narrow slice of the story. Okay, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't come up in the story I'm telling. Now, well, it could, it could. I shouldn't say that. Of course, it could, because because the the natural question is okay. How exactly does Jesus' death do anything? Now this, now when we're into that question, we're into all sorts of heavy, heavy theology because it's called atonement theology. Atonement is, um, is, is that moment where we become reconciled to God. Um, we, you know, and, and in the Old Testament, you have this huge sacrificial system. 
that's pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. Um, and so Jesus gets pointed at in the Jewish, you know, in the in as as Jewish Christians were were reframing what the Old Testament was and understanding what the Old Testament was now in light of Christ, they would use like, well, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is the temple, right? They they re-envisioned all of these Old Testament um, things as shadows of what of the reality of which was to come in in Christ. So when somebody says, hey, why did Jesus have to die? Uh, my my easiest answer is because of the, the wages of sin is death. I mean, that the, the sentence we received when sin entered the world was death. And so why did Jesus has to, have to die? Well, because he, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus, Paul says, became literally became sin on our behalf. So there was something that took place where God himself absorbed the worst curse that could be leveled, right, against us, mm-hmm. the curse of death itself. So right. why did Jesus die? Because the wages of sin was death. Now, how does Jesus's death then accomplish salvation? Oh my goodness. Well, you've got all sorts of theories on that, right? You've got the this justification picture where, well, he actually pays the penalty for our sin, not just in the fact that he died, but how he died uh, and and um, what he did when he was dead. And then his resurrection then, of course, vindicates him. So so I don't want to go, that, that will take us, we're oh, 51 minutes, yeah, yeah. that will take us way beyond uh, any of those sorts of things. I just want to point out that um, there, there are ways <clears throat> to tell the Christian story that are faithful to it in the scriptures, of course, because... I mean, if you're just telling another story, that's not the Christian story, of course. But that I don't think have to, um, that that because um, I, I don't think they have to to tell the story that we always receive. That the very narrow, like you're a sinner, God's perfect, you're guilty. I think we can tell the story in other ways that are faithful. That that will make more sense to a culture that doesn't practice sacrifice for atonement and propitiation and covering and those sorts of things. Make sense? Yeah. So, so I don't know. That's all I got. No, I think that's good. I think it's, uh, uh, it's, it's from where her email and question is coming from. Um, that's a whole nother way of telling that story. And that's, uh, well, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> no, uh, there is a lot there, yeah. and it raises its own questions. And it's not the only way to tell it. That's my point. Right? Is that is that okay? So if if we're not all walking around with this massive sense of guilt before a holy God, but it is in, it is indeed shame that there's something fundamentally wrong with me? Then the idea of being fully human, right? That I, that I have my humanness restored as part of following Jesus. That's a compelling. That's a compelling idea. Right? That's a compelling picture. The idea that God is in the process of putting together um, and renewing all things and putting things back to the way he intended them so that there is no more injustice, right? I mean, that that's an incredibly compelling picture to people like our the uh, like Michael, who asked the first question, who are right. heartbroken over the injustice happening in the world. Right. Right? I mean, so so what all we're trying to do is to say, listen, the biblical story is a lot bigger than what happened. Uh, when Jesus died, and it's a lot bigger than what happens when you will die, right? It's not just Dallas Willard has this great line. We'll always end on on uh, Saint Dallas. Um, he uh, he said, you know, because because many gospel presentations would start with, "Well, do you know what's going to happen if you die tonight?" 
And, and so the gospel would then be given in terms of what happens upon your death. And his response was always, yeah, but I want to know what happens if I live tonight. Right. Then what? Then what does Jesus have to say to me? And I was like, ooh, that's good. That There's something good. there. And so I try to answer that one. What happened, what ha- what's the point of our human life? Um, uh, more than just going to heaven when I die. And hallelujah for heaven when I die, but we don't stay there very long, evidently. Because we come back and renewed earth, and that's a whole different thing. So that's, that's a whole different. All right, so I'm very rambly. Sorry for rambly today, guys. But listen, I don't think you were rambly. Well, I feel rambly. I think you used a lot of words, but I think you used a lot of good words. <laughs> I was wordy, and I'm not just uh, I'm not just trying to brown nose or that's anything why, like that, or whatever. What do you call that? Kissing too. up, or okay. Well, it's called lots of things. It's called lots of things. Yeah. Um. All right, brothers and sisters, listen. Uh, thank you as always for the questions. Thank you for trusting us with the questions. And again, it's not that we're giving great answers. That that's not the point of this. Is to to say, hey, look how great our answers are. But the ra- the point rather is. These, these are phenomenal questions, they, and they deserve a response. The best way to honor the question is to read it and to do our best to respond to it, even though you know our responses aren't all that. So um, thank you for, for trusting us, and thank you for writing in. Uh, again, just as reminders, um, whatever you can do on iTunes, rating, subscribing, reviewing, all of that is, sharing. is super helpful. Even if you find a podcast that's really, that's been helpful to you, share it, you know, on, oh, your, on your social media yeah. accounts. It's huge. Yes. Yes. Use this Facebook thing. Uh, I, I find, I, I find it that, 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 uh, people share all kinds of dumb things. Why not share something else that's dumb? Um, <laughs> I was wondering how you could end that. <laughs> Something else that's also <laughs> dumb. There's there's a couple. There's a couple uh, of them on there that are moments of brilliance. Uh, mostly when you're interviewing other people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Tim Mackey, share that one. Yes. Um, uh, and then um, our po- our website is hello at Vox Podcast. Uh, no, that's our uh, email address. Dang, see, I'm not only dehydrated. Because I was like ribbing you a little bit. You can't take it. You can't take it. You're used to just dishing all the coffee jokes towards me and I'm getting back at you a little bit. You know what? That's very true. But I've I've stayed away from the coffee. That's true. I don't want to, I, yeah. So um, (laughs) let's see. The website is voxpodcast.com and the email address is hello at voxpodcast.com. And um, if you want to, uh, if the web, if the uh, the website, if the podcast's been helpful, and uh, you want to help uh, support uh, it financially, you can go to Patreon.com and uh, look up uh, Vox Podcast uh, with Mike Geary, and you'll find us there. So anyway, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you. Man, may the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. Until next time, my friends, thank you. See ya.